and welcome to the Science in the City podcast, your gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences. I'm your host, Tamara Johnson. I think that it really showed me that there is an immense amount of potential to improve the world through what we learn in engineering. That was Ashwin Ramaswamy, from whom we'll be hearing more soon. Ashwin's a third-year biomedical engineering student at the University of Texas at Austin, and he just now was talking about his experience in a program called Projects for Underserved Communities. The program teams up engineering and social work students to design and implement sustainable engineering projects with social impacts in developing countries. The students are responsible for understanding and responding to the needs of the communities in which they work, pitching their projects for funding, ordering supplies, coordinating with on-the-ground partners in the countries where their projects will be installed, and ultimately, building something that will make a positive and lasting difference. In this podcast, we'll be talking to Ashwin and UT senior Emily Lehman, another student in the PUC program, about the challenges and rewards of engineering for sustainable development. But first, we'll hear a little from the program's co-founder, professor of mechanical engineering and vice provost for international programs at UT Texas at Austin, Dr. Janet Elzey. Could you please start off by explaining how the program came about? The PUC program came about as essentially a response to student demand. We really have a great generation of student right now. They want to positively impact society and to use their skills to do something worthwhile even at this very young age. So as an educator, I realized that these sorts of projects provided a great opportunity for our students to develop all sorts of skills, not only the technical skills that they um, need as engineers, but also team building skills. They learn how to make budgets and schedules and to do purchasing. Uh, there are tremendous lessons on communication and in particular on cross-cultural communication. So for me, I look at it as we're really educating leaders for the 21st century. There's a huge difference between the kind of hands-on learning experience you get in, say, an undergraduate lab, compared to the social impact work your students are doing out in the field. Could you talk a little about what this program really entails for the students? Yes, I. It, it's true. It's the first program like this at UT that we have, although some other schools have uh, done similar type things. And I think that the great benefit of uh, this type of project, a, a field project, as opposed to a laboratory project, is the students really own it. And success is very important. It isn't an experiment for them to go out and say, oh, well, let's try this. And if it doesn't work, then we've learned something. Our communities are really dependent upon us to have a successful outcome. And so the students really assume that responsibility of looking at various options and then, then um, going forwards with something that they believe will be successful. These projects are not technically all that complicated. Organizing your team, organizing the volunteers that you're going to, to get from the village, doing the procurement when it's in another country, all those issues are very uh, complicated actually and are quite a challenge. What's involved in meeting some of these challenges? One of the many uh, interesting and unusual aspects of PUC is the number of people and organizations that have to be on board for us to be successful. It's uh, our students in the College of Engineering. We we have students from the College of Social Work. 
We have industrial sponsors. We work with on-the-ground NGOs who help us with logistics. And we have the village itself that we're partnering with. So all of these different entities have different goals. They have different backgrounds. And uh, we all have to come together on the same page for the project to be successful. And it is very challenging, but I have to say it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my career. Thanks so much. And now to hear from some students about their projects and experiences. First up is Emily. She's a senior studying architectural engineering whose team is in the design and planning phase of a project they'll install this summer in Tanzania. To start off, could you please tell us about your project? I am currently working on a project for a village in Tanzania called Mtimbwani. What we're currently designing is a rainwater harvesting system. So that just means that we want to take advantage of all of the water that naturally falls on rooftops and channel that water via a piping system into storage tanks so that it can be used for potable uses and other domestic uses, including, of course, drinking and cooking, as well as potentially doing laundry and other cleaning type things. And why did you choose to do this particular project? We were given a list of quite a few options, a bunch of different things that the community felt like they wanted and needed. And we decided on this project based on our skill sets as students, the resources we knew that we could get through the university and through professor contacts. And we also decided that it was probably the most impactful of the projects because of course having potable water is so extremely important. What about the location in Tanzania? Um, Mtimbwani is in the northeastern corner of Tanzania. It's um, quite a few kilometers from the ocean, maybe um, well, maybe it's like three kilometers from the water, maybe a little bit more than that. And the predominant economy of the village would be fishing. So a lot of the men every day would travel to the water to go fishing, while the women and children would remain in the village um, to go about their daily business. The population of the village is about 3,000 people. And um, we're looking to hopefully benefit all of them in some small way through our system. What are some of the engineering challenges your team is dealing with? What our, pro what our project has really been focusing on recently is all about concrete design and designing concrete mixes for the storage tanks. We're working with a contractor in Tanzania who has some experience building these partic this particular kind of cast-in-place concrete tank. And we're looking at a lot of really specific things dealing with concrete to attempt to make a tank that, of course, won't leak, that will last um, approximately 30 years because that's the, the range of this project that we would like it to be functioning and benefiting the community for about 30 years at the minimum. And so we are really focusing on looking at different admixtures, which are supplemental ingredients that you can put into a standard concrete mix in order to change the performance of the mix. And so that's all very chemical and all based upon reactions. And so that in itself has been... I mean, we're definitely just at the, the cusp of this whole area of research that we're going to begin into um, to really work on developing 
this new mix that we think will serve this project the best. The other main component of the project, aside from the storage tank, is is the piping. And we we are pretty sure that um, the piping part of the system is going to be much more straightforward than the concrete design that's involved in the tank portion of the system because um, we're feeling pretty confident that we can use standard PVC piping that you would find at any Home Depot and that we can use gutters that we know we can buy in country in Tanzania um, which we're currently we're thinking of just using some pretty standard semicircular plastic gutters attaching them to the roof of the elementary school that we will be building the system on um, and then from those gutters, you attach a bunch of different piping and piping connectors in order to channel the water from the rooftop into the storage tanks. So I feel like that's probably going to be the more straightforward part of the project, whereas the process of designing the concrete mix to use for these tanks and also planning out the construction process of actually building these tanks is also going to be a challenge. Definitely the tanks is where we're going to focus most of our technical intensity because that is the area of the project that we know the least about at this point. Could you tell us more about the complications you mentioned with the concrete? Um, we're looking to enhance a couple different things because one problem with the project currently and one thing that we're a bit worried about is that we we've looked at how this contractor in Tanzania currently is building these tanks and we have some safety worries about the method that he's using um, in order to to pour concrete you have formwork and you pour the concrete inside of it and once the chemical reactions happen in the concrete, it begins to harden. And once it's hard enough, then you can remove the formwork and then you have the concrete you see all around you every day. And so we're a little bit worried that the method the contractor is using is a bit unsafe because we think that he might be moving the formwork too soon when the concrete in the tank hasn't hardened to a sufficient state in order to layer uh, additional concrete on top of it. We, we're not sure that it has the structural capabilities to hold additional concrete and a safety is our number one precaution. So we're definitely going to look much more into that as one area of research in the future. As far as the mix of concrete itself, what generally goes into concrete, the, the ingredients that are generally in a concrete mixture that's completely standard, would be water, cement, sand, and aggregate. Aggregate is just pebbles and other larger rock particles. And we're looking to add some admixtures, as I mentioned earlier, in order to make sure that the tank is going to be structurally sound and functional for many years to come. Because what's a bit peculiar about our current situation with this project is that the water we're going to be using in the concrete is going to be saline, which is something that generally is never done. It usually is always fresh water that we mix in concrete. And so that's a bit worrisome to have saline water in the concrete mix because another important part of these tanks is steel rebar. Rebar is just steel um, 
bars that are placed inside of it in order to give it additional strength. So we're a bit worried about the combination of the salt and the steel because that can cause the steel to rust or deteriorate or um, behave in a way that we wouldn't expect and something that we just don't know a lot about because that's not common practice. But we're, um, we don't ha really have an option as far as using fresh water in Mtimbwani because the, the access that they have to water is so limited and they have uh, wells, but these wells do pump saline water. So we're, we're sort of pinholed into using saline water. So we need to make sure that that's going to be safe and that there isn't going to be any kind of peculiar interactions with the rebar that's inside of the concrete. How much water in the end do you expect your project to be able to deliver? We have done extensive calculations and we've done a lot of research to try and verify that our precipitation data is accurate because that was a first hurdle that we encountered is that it's much harder to find um, precipitation data for Mtimbwani, Tanzania than it is for Austin, Texas. So that was a bit of a struggle in itself, but we found that we are going to be able to fill two 30,000 liter tanks per year, which is, I mean, which is great um, because as far as the water situation in Mtimbwani goes, they really are struggling to have reliable access to clean water. Has being involved in this program changed your perspective on science or engineering at all? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely been unlike any other class I've taken in my college career. I'm a senior now, and I feel like it has given me such a different look at what engineering is and what it's like to work on a real-life project because it's been completely and totally different from every other class project you are assigned, you know, during the semester any or anything like that, because something about um, PUC is so personally investing. And so you're really just involved in the project in an, on an emotional level because um, you're communicating with all these different stakeholders in the project and you want it to succeed just as much as everyone else does. And you know that, um, I mean, as us students on the Tanzania team, like we hold the responsibility and we have the power to make the project a success. And But I mean, you definitely feel the pressure because, you know, at the same time, maybe you could be responsible for it not going so well. And so it's definitely real world experience and it's definitely a really realistic look into what development work is and how many different people need to be involved in order for a development project to come to fruition and to be successful and to serve the community in a way that the community wants to be served. Thank you so much and all the best luck for your trip to Tanzania. Up next is Ashwin Ramaswamy, third-year biomedical engineering major at the University of Texas at Austin and an alum of the Projects for Underserved Communities program. Ashwin, could you tell us about the project your team did, please? Last year, during the 2012-2013 academic year, our team was completing a project for a rural village in Papua New Guinea, which is an island country off the north coast of Australia. Now, the project was to design and develop a sustainable engineering project, which would serve the water needs of the entire village. 
So we came up with a plan to develop a solar-powered water pumping and distribution system, which would make access to water much better for the entire community. And tell us about where you were working. So Papua New Guinea, it's a very undeveloped nation. And while it has ample natural resources, it has very limited infrastructure. So the community we were working with was a village called Manyang, which has about 500 people living in in the village. It's about two to two and a half hours away from the nearest city. And given that distance, it has very limited access to an electrical grid and uh, resources such as oil or gas or petroleum. What were the particular water supply-related problems you were trying to address? So the groundwater resources in, the, in and around the village we were working in were actually quite good. Uh, we had gotten the water tested, and while it wasn't necessarily up to the standards that we have here in the U.S., it was of above-average quality, and the villagers using that water source um, were not having any issues as far as health. The problem with... Uh, the, the source that source of water was that it was only located in a single well in the village. So when you ha- when you have about 500 people uh, demanding access to water, it required a lot of effort to go to that single well and get the water and go back to your house. So a lot of people were using other resources such as streams or springs or rivers around in and around the village, and those resources were not as clean and based on a preliminary uh, survey that we performed upon our or during our implementation we found that people using the external water sources were experiencing symptoms that indicate uh, some viral diseases or bacterial borne diseases. Could you describe the engineering aspects of your project? After we determined what we wanted to do with our project. We started designing it in last spring. So we decided upon using a solar-powered pump, which would be sustainable for the next 15 years if none of the components break down. So that system involved uh, installing a pair of solar panels and wiring them to a submersible pump, which was located inside a well already installed in the village about 20 years ago. The pump would directly pump water into a elevated tank that we installed, and from that tank the water would be distributed via gravity to four taps distributed throughout the village, um, the farthest being about 90 meters away from the tank. What were some of the challenges your team encountered, and how did you handle them? I think the primary challenge we faced was a different lifestyle uh, there, and the way of life for people in Papua New Guinea or Papua New Guineans is it's it's a much slower lifestyle. So their day-to-day activities are not not even close to as hectic as ours are here in the U.S. So what that means in terms of our project is that things like getting materials delivered on time or Uh, receiving quick correspondence from our contacts in country 
uh, all those things were slowed down, caused some delays with our project as far as getting things done when we wanted and according to our, our schedule. So we had to work within their standards. So we had to adjust our schedules and what we wanted to accomplish in order to maximize the project's performance. What was it like going to Papua New Guinea? You know, it, it went surprisingly well. We spent, our team spent about uh, 12 days in country with a day or two on each end to travel. Um, you know, no one from our university had ever been to Papua New Guinea, which was a little bit surprising for us when we learned that. Because we were trying to reach people who could give us a little insight into what the community would be like and just give us little hints about what our experience might be. But it was we couldn't find anybody like in or around Austin in general. When we went, we really had no idea what to expect. But you know, we knew there were a few people in the village that spoke English, so we had that. And we also had some partners uh, that we were working with in country who we were communicating with the entire year. So when we got there, um, we were just in awe of how well we got along with the community and how interested they were in improving their community resources. And they were, they were some of the kindest people that I think we've ever met. They would, they would do anything they could to make our stay more comfortable. For you, what was the biggest takeaway from having done the program? I think it would be that, you know, even as a student, I can make a tremendous impact. When you're just, I guess, just doing your classes and doing your coursework, you don't really get an idea of what you can do outside of that. So it was, it was an amazing experience to get away from the books and really affect people's lives. I mean, even here in the U.S., there's tons of opportunities to use things that we learn and skills that we learn to improve our communities. And that's, that's even more pronounced in global communities such as Papua New Guinea, which as a country has such limited infrastructure. And I think engineers in general can have a huge impact if we're able to make use of what resources they do have. So my experiences in Papua New Guinea really prompted me to want to continue working on projects that will affect the global community. And overall, it was a terrific, terrific experience, and I recommend that everyone tries to do programs where they can really use their skills to benefit their communities. And what advice would you offer to other students who'd like to do just that? Um, I would say that they should be aware and that they should get involved when they see opportunities. Because there's, there's opportunities everywhere. I mean, I have a friend who's doing a project where he's working with a local high school to improve their water usage in their, in their gardens. Little things can make a huge impact for the, your community. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's it for this Science in the City podcast. We'd like to thank the Brotherton Foundation for supporting this podcast and all the speakers for sharing their great stories. For more, check out scienceinthecity.org. You can also follow us on social media. We're Science in the City on Facebook and Sci and the City on Twitter. Thanks for listening.